Welcome everyone, this is Carlos from Seedcamp. Today I have Brett Putter from uh, Forsyth Group. He's a managing partner there, and the Forsyth Group is an executive search firm based here in London uh, with a clientele that's global in nature. Is that, is that a fair statement? That's correct. Yes, hi everybody. Um, I asked Brett to come over because we were having a chat earlier about a, a company that uh, Brett's working with. And uh, one of the challenges that he has is dealing with uh, founding teams that maybe sometimes break apart, uh, sometimes uh, founding teams that need additional people, uh, sometimes it is about hiring in somebody where there is a hole in the executive team. And it's always a tricky part of building a company, the people equation. But before we go down that path, uh, perhaps what we can do is Go into your history, Brett. Uh, maybe we can start from the very, very beginning. Um, what you did during the college years and then what you did immediately right after. So um, I studied mechanical engineering at UCT in South Africa and um, had an entrepreneurial bug bite me very early on. So uh, after getting a, a job as a, as a, as a door-to-door salesman to pay for my sins as a as a uh, student, I uh, then went and started my own business selling home improvement products into the townships uh, around Pretoria and uh, built that business up very successfully until it failed very dramatically. Uh, frankly, lost everything, um, ended up moving back in with my parents and then started another business very successfully. Um, that business I uh, um, was running, which was a micro lending facility in South Africa and uh, came, over to South, uh, came over to the UK on holiday and uh, decided I had had enough of South Africa, I was going to move to London. And it was in 99, so the uh, technology uh, bubble was in full flow. I came over, uh, got a job here as an as a, a, a executive salesman and uh, started a very small um, uh, what I like to call my the first uh, replication of, of a, a business in the US, which was intranets.com, and we started a business here called tospeaktu.com. Uh, the market imploded, and um, I then um, had was out on the market looking for a job, and Rosemary Forsyth uh, came across my CV from a partner of hers, and she placed me at a company called ABS Telecom. And I was doing the business development type of deals that I'd done for my own startup. So uh, that went really well. After a year, I decided um, it, it wasn't really for me in terms of the environment and uh, took some time off. And that was actually when uh, Rosemary came to me and said, would you like to, you know, would you like to become an executive search uh, consultant? And I wasn't really sure in the, in the beginning. I thought I was a little bit too South African, too direct um, and uh, a little bit too abrupt possibly. Uh, but Rosemary saw something in me that I didn't and said, no, come and give it a go. And um, yeah, we, we work really, worked really well together from the very beginning. Um, it was tough times because it was 2001. So it was the nuclear winter after the bubble had burst and people weren't hiring. But we got through that um, and uh, then grew from strength to strength. And uh, now we're in a very, very strong position in, in, in the markets we work in. We've always been focused on emerging technology, high growth companies, um, and we've moved uh, with the tide, as it were, with the VC tide. So we work very closely with a number of the VCs 
And essentially, from the early days of Netscape, where we worked in month four, Real Networks, DoubleClick, Scopus, we built all of these teams across Europe. Um, then we did work with eSpotting and uh, Google in the search engine side. And now we're doing a lot of work in the apps, mobile, software as a service, uh, enterprise software. We've done some really interesting quirky searches, so micro nanotech, micro needles, um, pharmaceutical packaging, um, and some drug discovery stuff, which has been very interesting. So yeah, um, a little uh, bit of everything. A little bit of everything. Uh, Jeez, Brad, I didn't know all this stuff. <laughs> man, this is like super impressive. Well, I I I'm a, a closet entrepreneur, as I like to call myself. So I forget I, closet. I, <laughs> You've done it several times. <laughs> You've been out of the closet. Wow. Uh, so I, I really, you know, I, I feel I have a, a, an empathy with the uh, entrepreneurs that we work with. And I feel that um, I have, a, having spent, what, 14 years now in a company that's 34 years old, um, I must have interviewed, I don't know how many thousands of people. And, um, you know, it's the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour or 10,000 experience rule where you just get a, you, you just become very, very good at what you do if you do it for long enough and you do it at, at a high level. So, um, yeah, we've been very lucky. We've worked with great companies. Um, we've worked with uh, really exciting technologies. And every day is a, is a new challenge, working with founding teams, working with investors, um, the, the, the problem with people, which is the great thing about people, is they, they sometimes change their minds and they need to be helped along and they need to be coaxed and encouraged and matched. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's really what we, what we do. Mm. So that's very comprehensive. I, uh, I was hoping that uh, you would do that, but now we have the, 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 the enjoyment of going back in time and maybe touching upon some of those early stories you told me about when you were first an entrepreneur before you kind of joined and uh, a Rosemary with, with the executive search side. So let's go back to the first few uh, engagements that you had as an, as an entrepreneur. What was the biggest lesson, the first HR lesson you had where you're like, damn, if I could do that all over again with what I know now as a, as a, as a person who's dealt with these 10,000 hours, what would that be? What was the first like... HR mess up that you like, you know, some other founders are doing today. Well, the 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 first the first HR mess up that I'd made is I I hired I'd hired people too quickly without doing enough due diligence. I needed a, when I started my own business, I needed to build build a sales team really really quickly. Um, so my my focus was just getting people through, you know in the door out with our with our product catalogs and getting uh, you know salespeople, but. It turned out that to be able to work effectively, essentially selling into the townships, you needed to have a really good network and you needed to be trusted in, in, in the environment that you were in. So it took me much longer to actually find the trust, the people who were trusted within the environment. So I think, I think the mistake I made really early, which is you know, a mistake a lot of founders make, is, is you, don't, you, don't, you don't really understand what you're hiring. You, you, you think you have an idea, but you don't really. And, and, and through the hiring process, I mean, it took me, I guess, six months longer than it should have to really get the business up and running effectively. And then how many of those, like, so you know, the, the, the point there was around hiring too quickly, but walk us through kind of like, what were the telltale signs other than, okay, I, I feel like, you know, these people didn't have the right connection. But what were the telltale signs internally when you were like, okay, I'm doing something wrong here? So that people can start looking for these signals. Well, I think, I think the first thing, and I, and I always I stick by this, is your gut instinct kind of tells you. Um, 
that they, that this just really doesn't fit. I hadn't spent enough time looking at what what our the cultural DNA was that 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 we needed. I hadn't spent enough time understanding. You know the uh, the values of the business. It's something you don't really do. You know the values, the the, the internal behaviors, the principles of what we were building, um, and why we were building it. Focusing the on cultural why. DNA, if you will. Yeah, exactly. So 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 in in this in the in the case of my first business, I you know I just thought I need a lot of people on the ground. I didn't really think about why we were doing what we were doing, and that was a mistake. And I had to come back and say, okay, well what. The, your cultural DNA comes from you as a founder or your founding team. That, that's the, the sort of genetic backbone um, of 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 your of your your company and of your of your team. So, you know, we we actually sat down and said, who are we? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? What are our values? What's important to us? What gets us up? You know, what gets us up and, and to do this business? And, and what and percentage of companies you've worked with today? have that in any visible shape very few very few. very few it's 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 something that is it's a little bit amorphous so the founders don't spend any time on it because they're really busy doing other stuff and do you think i mean there's probably some founders out there that are hearing you say this and think oh that's just soft stuff I and mean, you read about that in blog posts but i mean who's got time for that yeah and and to a degree they're right but but you know somebody like tony shea who who built zappos said our number one priority in the company is culture if if our belief is you know they said their belief is if they get the culture right everything else you know the 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 the, the brand the sales the customer service it all comes after you get the culture right um, the other thing for for founders which is really really crucial is hiring a um, a team building your team if you don't have a good cultural match with your team your initial uh, you know your, the, the first four five six seven eight nine ten twenty people if the cultural match isn't there. I believe it's it's actually one of the key ingredients to why companies fail because they haven't really analyzed what their cultural DNA is and they, they haven't had time to really focus down on the candidate that we, we, we're interviewing and the, the, how do their values match with our values. Okay, so step one, determine your internal cultural DNA. Correct. Because if you start going on hiring before you have that, you're setting yourself up for trouble. Exactly. So let's dig, let's dig a little bit deeper. In your current capacity when you take on a new client do you audit them on that do you get a feeling for that do you sort of encourage that do you mediate that do you facilitate that it's um yes we do so we do we do we don't audit per se but we get a sense of them so we try and meet as many of the team as possible we try and meet if we know the and don't know the investors we'll try and meet the investors or board so that we get an understanding of that and we will ask the, you know we, we will ask the, the the founder or the team what is your cultural DNA? What what makes you guys tick? And if if they don't know, we actually build an idea ourselves. So we, um, it's, it's almost the in executive search. There's the art and the science of executive search. This is the art. This is where you you work out what you know. We we we, we will often ask what type of car are you? If you, if you're a car, what type of car are you? Um, and a, a really good example of one of our clients said. We're a we're a, a Beetle, a Volkswagen Beetle. We're 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 cool. We're funky. We're very very reliable. You know, we can let the we can take the hood down. We can take the the roof down and have fun. But we really we can be serious and we get from A to B. We do we deliver, and that then tells me a bit about the company. It tells me about their their what's important to them, what they believe in, what their principles are. Have you ever turned down a client that that was like, you heard the team and you're like, 
this guy's saying Porsche, this guy's saying Beetle, this guy's saying, you know, golf. And you're like, you know what, placing somebody in this environment would be toxic. It's not even worth my time. We do, we, we, we're lucky enough to choose, uh, to be able to choose the clients. Um, most of our clients are, are, are really, really, you know, great. So in some cases, you know, turning down the client is difficult because you, you, you get it, you, you get into, once you get into the, 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 um, the process with the client, you don't, you don't normally have massive discrepancies. But 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 you may so the discrepancy may only come up later on in the process, mm-hmm. so it's, so it's quite difficult. But we're very um, very honest, direct, and very very brutal with our clients in certain situations. So if we feel there is an issue, we will flag it and we'll say this is an issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if, if we if we if we assume then that the first thing that a, a founder should do is get their cultural DNA on paper, talk to a lot of their um, key hires that are important that are already in the organization or co-founders and now they've done that yeah let's fast forward in your career the next big mistake so if you were to look at a company who's already done that what's the next big mistake that you've seen happen the next big mistake that we've seen happen is let's let's assume well let's assume that the company has traction the big mistake that 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 founders make is they push too they, they they push too far or they or they stretch themselves too thin. So we we've we've seen situations where um, a company goes from the UK to the US too soon to take advantage to try and take advantage of a situation. And and what they've done is they've they've actually sent one of their key key members of staff who's too important in 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 the in the UK to actually let go. And they're doing this too quickly. So it's a bit of a balance between taking taking um, advantage of circumstance and also s- spreading the, the team too thin. So we've we've seen that um, that happen a, a number of times. We've also we've also seen uh, companies not not really uh, com- founders early stage founders are really good at setting aims and goals. They're not so good at strategy. And they're not so good at vision, mission, and and, and really putting the process in uh, processes and structures in place. And I'm not saying very very early on, but I'm saying at a certain stage where the business has traction, you, you want to see that they have processes that they so that they can deal with the rapid growth, so that they can deal with with uh, you know another thousand customers that they didn't that, you know that that they they didn't really plan for. So not putting. Uh, it, it, this is this is. Uh, I've had a number of deba- debates with found, with founders about this because founders like the chaos. They like the, the 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 creative environment. But at a certain stage, a high growth company needs to, needs to put structure in place and needs to be able to say, "All right, guys, we need to let go of control to get control." So so delegate more, push the decisions further out. Um, and use a proper framework and structure to build the business. Mm. Okay, so we've moved from culture of the name now to proper structure so that you can grow at the speed that, that the company deserves mm-hmm. and without overextending yourself by sending somebody abroad. Then if you then sort of fast forwarded to the moment you learned those lessons personally, what was like the next most recent mistake that you've made before you moved into sort of executive search professionally? What was like, because to some extent, the more you've matured as a founder and all the experiences that you had, there must be like one mistake that happened right before you joined uh, uh, Rosemary, where you were like, crap, you know, I should have, I should have seen that one coming. Well, I think, 
in in two in two thousand, I didn't I didn't see the bubble coming. So uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody else did. So good. <laughs> a couple of people probably didn't made so many. Um, but the 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 classic the, the classical mistake is is not knowing where to let go. So um, in South Africa, I, I built a business very very quickly, and we you know we scaled we scaled together we scaled the business. Uh, you know I hired. 200 plus people in 18 months in a, in a consulting business really really rapidly and I, I, I took a lot of the mistakes and, and, and built a really you know strong process for that um, the mistake that that I, I didn't make per se but but um, my uh, sort of co-founder CEO made was not 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 knowing when to step down um, the the business got too big the business got um, just just he he couldn't deal with the the size and 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 the complexities that happened in, in that business really really quickly, and we see it we see it here. There are there are certain founders who are really capable and 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 can take a business, you know Zuckerberg, Dell, Gates, etc. Um, but but in some cases. And we and 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 often the investors we work with will say, you know, we've had a conversation with the CEO. He's going to run it for the next 12, 18 months and see if he can grow into the role. Uh, that's that that's that's something that we've seen holding on to the baby when the baby should be let go. You know, mm. um, is now in university. And so, how do you how do you manage that? I mean, I think that that's a very good uh, thing to deep to deep dive into. One of the things that has is probably in, in the fear category for a lot of people is letting go of something they've built. Hmm. Like, how have you dealt with maybe examples of ones that have gone well and the ones that haven't, where they've either brought in an equal to them to help them with that scaling and how that accommodation process went, or somebody above them so that they're not checked out entirely, so the founder's not checked out entirely, but rather they've brought in somebody who can basically be that guiding pair of hands that leads them to the, to the sort of the more mature stages of scaling. Yeah, so I, I've I've never seen a successful situation where they brought in an equal. Um, in all cases, you you know whether you bring in a COO to 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 help you, or whether you bring in a CEO and you move into more of a business dev strategy or operational role. Um, the the in all cases we've seen some people bring in better than them. So you know Zuckerberg brought in uh, Cheryl. Um, she was you know incredibly experienced, and we've seen we've seen this with with some of our our companies where it's, if it's done really well, um, once again, I'm going to come back to the cultural DNA. So the cultural DNA and the match with the founder, um, the balance between the creativity and the operational or the execution capability, that is, is really, really important because they, they're going to have to work together. And in some cases, this is forced on a founder by the board. In other cases, the founder puts their hand up and says, look, you know, I don't, I, I'm, I'm a product I'm a product girl. I, you know, I, I, I love product. I don't want to do this anymore. But in all cases, it's it's two things. It's better than you know, really skilled at, at, at taking the business from ten to fifty, or five to you know whatever five million to a hundred million. Um, and it's it's um, culturally really important that that they that they match and they gel. Uh, if you don't get that right, it's a disaster. Okay, but that's a very good point that you made um, because it's not necessarily self-evident. It's that if a co-founder comes in at the same time early on in the company, that might work. But coming in later because you want to have an additional co-founder uh, may not work. It might be better off to have them as a COO or as a CEO. But at what point do you think that that is too late? 
how far in a company's life is it too late to bring on that that co-founder? I don't think it's I don't uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's actually ever too late. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure you can call him a co-founder later on, um, but. Uh, if 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 two people are going to work well together and they're on, they're on the same page, I don't think it's ever too late. But sorry, just so maybe I misunderstood you. It's, did, did you say that you have never seen it work where those two things are equal? Yeah. You're, so you're you're you're, you're just you're this is a co-founder yeah, so, versus role. So this is this is later on in the business. Yeah, okay. um, in in the early in the early stages of a business, you can bring on a you can bring on an equal co-founder, obviously yeah. equal in capacity, but different skill set. So yeah. product versus ops or sales yeah. or yeah. So in in the earlier stages, equal is you know equal works. Um, they, they'll be equal in capability, mm. but different skill set. So draw the line when early becomes not early, like in terms of staff in your, in your eyes. What number of staff would you say that this, this sort of late coming co-founder is actually more, should be more as a COO or is more of a CEO? I think, it, I don't know if it's a number as much as it's, as it's a gel. So how okay. gelled is this team? Okay. You know, um, a, a team a team of three could be so well you know so well put together and so connected that that there isn't that the, the fourth person is, is an outsider fit. and and will won't fit in the same way mm-hmm. but will be will will still be an outsider won't be that 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 equal. Mm-hmm. Um, so if for me it's 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 the the the, the strength of the bonds in in the team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if it's one person, only one person. In one person team, yeah. Uh, then, then, then I think it just depends on their ego, frankly. If okay. you know, if they, if their ego, they've got a massive ego and they really greedy and they don't want to share. You know, they, 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 I, that it's a human element then versus. And, and have you ever, have you ever successfully had a conversation with, uh, maybe because shareholders asked you to, but with uh, with a CEO who, in theory, should benefit from having somebody above them, or perhaps uh, as a CEO, COO. Uh, where you had the hard conversation about like, look, your ego is actually getting in the way. Yeah, it's 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 something that we've not we we're not asked to do very often, but occasionally an investor will come to us and say, you know, can you go and ha- just go and ask? We we don't ever tell anybody anything. We ask people questions. So if I if if I ask you questions, you know, are you are you comfortable in in where the business is growing? Are you where you where do you think you're weak? Um, you know, you're obviously strong there, but what about this area here? Do you think you're going to be able to scale with this business? Those are the kinds of questions that you put into their head. You don't ever tell them anything because they don't want to be told anything. But the, 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 uh, at the end of the day, you, you want to understand where their thinking is. Um, and you want to understand how open are they to, how flexible are they? And uh, in a lot of, uh, you know, we're seeing, what we're seeing now is, is, the, the the market and the ecosystem is much more developed and has developed very rapidly over the last three, four, five years. And with that management capability in these teams has has developed and they've seen more. So we're seeing, you know, we're seeing founders who go, look, I'll put my hand up and when I'm not ready, I'll tell you. Mm. Um, but once again, it does come to ego. If, if the ego is too strong and, and you know, they, they don't want to be second fiddle, then it's very difficult to deal with that. Mm. Yeah, um, it's tough. I mean, it, you know, the, I know that you, we, you, you and I have shared some stories about uh, people who've been brought in and then have had to leave um, because they couldn't match. And maybe you could walk us through kind of maybe in your experience, the best way to manage 
that process so that any 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 founder who's in that situation who might have been CEO for a while decides to bring on somebody and that process isn't working but that person is a really heavy hitter that that person they brought as a COO potentially as a new CEO how they can manage that situation with uh, with them with with the new person and then with the board to make a, a smooth transition because obviously the company will have put a lot of investment in, in that situation yeah I think I think when you um, when you're in this situation it's better to move quickly quicker than than move slower yeah. um, take action and take action as quickly as is humanly possible um, there are a number of um, elements to this that that could get in the you know did the board was the board did the board drive this um, can you show that you have as a founder you've done your utmost to make this work and it hasn't worked has the um, has the executive you know really really not delivered um, so there, there are a lot of there are lots of questions that, that that you have to that you have to bring to the table but if if your board and you you know you obviously hired this person if they're not working get rid of them and the quicker you get rid of them, the better. At the end of the day, um, you know, if, if you set them free, you're setting them free from an environment that, that actually isn't right for them. They may or may not know that. And you're setting them free to go and find the right environment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's difficult. It's, it can be tough and it's emotional and there could be issues around it. But that's just something that as a CEO, you've got to learn to deal with. Obviously, if there are pressures from your board, um, essentially your board, you, you, you've got to manage your board. Um, and you've got to do what's right for the business, not what's right for you, but what's right for the business. Hmm. So for, for some of the people in the audience, they might actually not know how to engage with a, a search firm. Um, so they might have some of the elements that you've already described, you know, the, the idea of what their company stands for, perhaps an understanding of the vacuum that is within their organization. But I think the, the first port of call is usually social media or friends of friends. But then there is some benefit to, to going to a, a firm that has experience in curating the best people, right? Because that's how you make your living. So maybe sort of pointers as to, you know, when when's the right time, how, the, how they should bring things to you, um, what's the usual cost, anything like that that could help somebody sort of understand the right time, the right place and the right amount to, to reach out to you. So I think I think in, in relation to your first point, I if you if you can afford not to use a, an executive search firm, then then excellent. Um, and if you can use your network, and and use social media and use the other sites and get the right level of candidate, perfect. Um, and and do that if you've got the time, you know, spend spend the time on, on doing that as as a, as a founder. Um, in terms of in terms of working with executive search firms, the the. Uh, the advice from from my perspective is work with a firm that understands your market, that makes an effort to really get under your skin and, and, and gets to understand your DNA so that it's not just about putting, putting bodies in front of you, it's about putting the right, the right candidates at the right level. The advantage of working with an executive search firm is the majority of the candidates we place, if not 99% of the candidates we place, we're not looking to leave the company. That they that that they were in, mm. they're happy. They're doing well. They're successful. They're earning good money, um, and we are we our our role is to find those people who are doing well, um, who match the skill set and experience requirements, and entice them, encourage them, and represent the company so that we can get them talking. 
Um, it's because the level of candidates we work with is so high and the quality is so high. It's it's a, it's it's about a discussion versus an interview. You know, these they don't need to work. They don't. It's some, in some cases they they're very happy. They don't need to leave. They don't want to leave. It's it's. But is there what can tempt them mm. to join your firm? What have you got that 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 is really going to tempt the right the the, the, the right level of candidate? Mm. Um, and make sure that the firm has experience and knowledge in your space. Make sure that, if you, especially if you're a founder, make sure that the firm has experience working with, with, with startups, with high growth companies, with early stage companies. Um, in terms of fees, the uh, traditional executive search fee structure is 30% of the candidate's annual package. Um, we, as a boutique firm, can be flexible. So we've worked with companies whereby um, we will structure it so that we we take less fee up front, and then when our the CEO or the VP sales helps them raise their A round or B round, we'll take the balance. We can be very very flexible because we're a small firm and we we're not going to have a hundred staff um, ever. So from from that perspective, find flexibility, find somebody who really gets your DNA and somebody who understands your space. Is um, is a retainer a thing that's still used in the industry? Or? Yeah, yeah. And from an executive search perspective, traditionally, um, and this everything's flexible, but traditionally you will receive a third of the fee on retainer, a third at shortlist stage, and a third when the candidate joins the firm. Yeah. And then if, if things don't work out, what happens then? We've got a, a six-month uh, replacement guarantee, so we will run another search and find you the candidate. Um, that hasn't uh, happened for six, seven years now um, because we, we're really good at, at focusing and finding the right cultural match. If we find the right cultural DNA, um, then, you know, teams mm. glue together better. Mm. Mm. Cool. So, I mean, I think in summary, it sounds like there's, there's a lot of, of, of uh, prep work that's required really for somebody to think through uh, key hires mm. that prep work if, if I if I understood you correctly is, is sometimes maybe seems a bit uh, soft but it actually helps reduce a lot of mistakes later. yeah and then as long as you are looking through um, your expansion plan uh, through the eyes of how is a chart going to scale along with this expansion you're not going to make these mistakes where you're stretched too thin or you're sending people around the world without actually having the impact of that person not being in the office uh, be a detriment. Um, and then we talked a little bit about the dynamics of egos and then bringing people above and below. Um, maybe, uh, you know, a, a question where I actually don't know what the question is, but is there any one sort of last piece of, of, of advice that you'd have for founders on, on thinking through either managing internal issues or in hiring that, that maybe you could part with? Um, I think, well, there's, 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 there's one, one, piece of advice that's slightly parallel to this, which is um, on uh, advisors and NEDs. Um, I, see, I see this happen quite, quite regularly in that um, founders, the, the, the advice or NED that a company needs in the early stages is very different to the NED requirement later on. So, so just be careful and think through the NED hiring that you do or the advisory hiring that you do because if your business does change for some reason from, for example, a B2C, from a B2C to a more B2B business or from a direct to an indirect sales channel, your, that, that person's going to be dead weight 
uh, they'll be able to add some business value, but really the, the real context and the real value that you wanted is yeah. not you're not going to get from them. So on NED side, I, we see that happening a lot. Just be very very careful when you who you bring on and when you bring them on. Um, I think I think how long do you reckon that's the ideal to engagement time? Six months, a year? It it really depends on the business. Once the business has you know you've got your product market fit, you've got your traction, and things are starting to mm -hmm. scale, then. You know, I think, I think, and if you clearly know you're selling into e-commerce and fashion, mm. you know, if you really, really have it baked down in what you're doing, then, then, then fine. But, um, you, you know, bringing on an NED, they must have a job description. They must have, they must know exactly what they're expected to do and what value they're going to mm. bring to the company. Okay. Excellent. So we always like to end with the opportunity for you to do a shameless plug. <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, just, yeah, the Forsyth Group, we've been around for a very long time, um, 34 years. I joined the company uh, 14 years ago. We've worked uh, on some amazing searches, some very challenging searches, and um, Rosemary Forsyth headhunted um, people out of Microsoft, Bill's office for, for um, Larry Ellison, for example. Um, we've built companies that uh, where, where the, the founders have made tens and fifties and in some cases hundreds of millions and really what we do is is you know we empathize we work with we get under the skin of the companies we work with mm. and it becomes a little bit like family we've got we've got clients who you know we we've we've just built really great relationships with them and candidates mm. you know it's it's the, we're not we're, we're not we're clearly here for the long haul 34 years in so uh, yeah it's we're not we're, we're, we're not here for the short term mm. cool Thanks for that, Brett, and uh, until next time, guys. Bye.